0: I gotta just be honest with y'all. I absolutely love doing children's moments. Golly, that's so fun. They're killing me today, though. <laughs> Guys, it is the first Sunday in Lent. And if you're unfamiliar with Lent, don't feel bad. It's not in the Bible. Lent is something that the church started doing probably a thousand years ago as a way of preparing our hearts. For Easter for resurrection right and so what they thought is you know what we should count backwards 40 days and spend that time as a season of fasting and preparation and and 40 is a familiar number you guys will remember that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years you'll remember that Jesus fasted for 40 days after his baptism before beginning his ministry and so if you pull out a calendar and you count backwards 40 days not counting Sundays then you land at this past Wednesday which was Ash Wednesday and so traditionally Lent is a time when we give something up when we when we fast from something so that we can draw our attention constantly back To God so that God might shine in our hearts in the dark corners of our hearts the areas that we still need to give over to him and so we spend time reflecting and thinking about the the things that we haven't really fully surrendered yet to God so that we might be people whose hearts are cleansed and with the capacity to love God with everything that we have but several years ago I had a couple of kids in my youth group and it was an Ash Wednesday and we were talking about what is everyone going to give up, you know? And I love doing this with kids because it's, I'm going to give up Coca-Cola's on Tuesdays, you know, and I'm going to give up, you know, th- and so we were really pushing about, okay, let's make this something meaningful. And, but then there were two kids in my youth group that I knew kind of their backstory that they were going through a really difficult time. And they were the kind of kids that internalized things at home and would almost blame themselves, if you know what I mean, for things that were certainly not their fault. And it struck me, I felt guilty asking them to give something up for Lent. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but in the moment I pulled out my billfold, billfold, easy for me to say, I had a $20 bill and I gave it to them. I said here's what I want y'all to do I want you to go down to Publix and buy a package of strawberries and when they run out you should have enough there to get you another package or two or three and when you run out come back to me and I'll give you more cash I want you to do this because I knew they had this strawberry dessert recipe that they would always bring to youth events and it was one of those deals where you cut off the stem and then you kind of like gouge out the middle and fill it with cream cheese icing and then like daub it in graham cracker crust yeah I know some of y'all are like I'm gonna go home and make that and it tasted like strawberry cheesecake it was absolutely delicious and and I told them I said I want you to go buy your strawberry. If you want to make those cheesecake bites, great. If you want to dip them in chocolate, fine. If you just want to eat one plain, but every day I want you to eat a strawberry and I want you to tell yourself just how much God loves you. I just want you to remember God's grace in your life. And so I thought we might throw a curveball this Lent and talk about grace Mm -hmm. here at the church. And incidentally, we're going to keep throwing curveballs like the bulletin. I love that everyone came to me going, there's a misprint in the bulletin. Nope, that's not. The idea is that we get out of whatever rut or routine we might be into just so that we can experience what God's grace really, really means. So we just came off COVID, right? We just kind of came through disaffiliations. And I feel like we might be in a similar position as those kids where talk about it or don't talk about it, we're all kind of carrying around just a little bit of extra baggage from the last few years. I remember when COVID first started, Timothy Keller, who was the kind of the famous Presbyterian preacher in New York, said way back when 9-11 happened and the towers were bombed, he said, all of the first responders ran to help, right? Police officers, firefighters, the hospital workers, doctors and nurses, and clergy too, and everyone, counselors, everyone who had any way to help ran and helped. And no one considered themselves in the moment. But what happened was that trauma took a toll. And he said about a year later, you started to see mental health issues among people who were the first responders and gave the most. And he said, we should expect that post-COVID. And then, of course, we in the UMC have gone through a little bit more even on top of that. And I say that to say, if you're carrying a little bit of extra trauma this season, I hope that this series is for you. So we're gonna walk through uh, the book of Galatians over the next six weeks. And I thought we would start today just by reading the opening lines, not the very opening lines, because the very opening lines of all Paul's letters are, hey, great to see you guys. My name's Paul. You're killing it right now. Good job. Skip all that part, and let's get right to the meat of it. So we're going to read a little bit in chapter 1, and then we're going to skip down and read just a little bit in chapter 3, and I've got it on the screen for you. If you want to pull out your Bible, it'll be Galatians chapter 1, I think, starting in verse 6. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Mm -hmm. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And then what follows From there until the very beginning of chapter 3 is Paul giving his resume about why he should have the authority to speak to them so bluntly. So we're going to skip some of that and get right to the end of the argument. And he says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. One thing should just jump right out to you as you read this. Grace makes people angry. (laughs) In Paul's case, it comes out in the text, right? Twice in the text today, he called them fools or foolish. It's difficult for me to read a book like Galatians. It used to be much, much harder. Now it's a little bit easier. But when you read, let's say, for example, a book like Philippians, where the whole time Paul is going, every time I think about y'all, I rejoice. Thank you for being the best church ever. And then you read Galatians and he says, you fools. I was there. We preached grace. You all accepted it, received the Holy Spirit, and I've been gone five minutes. And what are y'all doing? Of course, if you read the rest of the book, you know what they're doing is they have reverted right back to the law of circumcision. They're like, yeah, grace, really good, excellent. I'm glad we got everyone in here with grace. Now that they're here, though, we need to fix some of that behavior, specifically that some of those guys are not circumcised. We need to get that taken care of. Right back into the law. And I don't know really what to do with Paul speaking so bluntly and angrily here. And to be clear, some of the book of Galatians I would not read from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. I mean, there's there's a lot of great stuff in Galatians like the fruit of the spirit and the I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That stuff we're going to read that on Sunday mornings. But there's some of it that where he's pushing a little bit harder on this and it's downright offensive. And you read it and you go, how could that be in the Bible? And some of y'all middle school boys right now are going, well, now i got to go read Galatians. i got to go find that. <laughs> some of y'all might be middle school boys at heart. I'm not going to tell you. You're just going to have to go read it. And I would encourage you to do that. But it made me ask th- myself this question several times this week. If, if I believe that it's okay that Paul is angry here, why does that make it Okay. And, and the only thing I can come up with, guys, is that, that there's a righteous anger that's okay in Scripture when it pushes grace, when it, when it tears down walls in order to bring more people in, when it builds a bigger table, you know what I mean? When it is working for people to find freedom and salvation in their lives instead of putting up walls and barriers and things that might keep someone from getting to know God. Grace doesn't just make Paul angry, though, here. If I had kept reading in verse 1, I stopped, I mean, in chapter 1, I stopped at verse 9, but the very next verse in chapter 1 is this. It says, And now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's just name it. Grace is hard for church folks to accept, right? Because we do so well with law and order, right? Black and white. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. Tell me who's in and who's out. Those kinds of things. Am I wrong? Because grace, grace could sometimes be a little bit of a slippery slope, right? Right? Grace has a little bit of moral ambiguity to it. Sometimes, doesn't it? At least that's how we feel, I think. Grace grace might be seen as condoning someone's behavior. So we got to be sparing with how we show grace, right? If if Paul had wanted to continue on his upward trajectory, within the religious leadership establishment, he certainly would not have left to be preaching grace. He would still be preaching the law. And he was under persecution because he was throwing the law right under the bus in order to say, these uncircumcised Gentiles in just as much as me and you and everyone else. So it's not just that grace makes people angry, I'd also just say, like, and this is fundamental, you guys all already know this, grace isn't fair, right? Which maybe is why it makes some people angry, especially people that do right, you know? People that make good decisions, that have always managed to do the right thing, the people that, that, studied for their tests, the people that worked out every day, the people that ate right, the people that managed to follow all the church rules. You know what I'm talking about? Those. When we do that, those things are so good for us. But man, doesn't that open the door for us to feel just a little bit self-righteous? Which then suddenly grace looks like, I'm not sure that that's, that's what really we should be giving to everyone. So I thought I'd tell y'all a story. Um, If the ushers would now get up, the ushers are gonna be handing out uh, midterm exams to y'all. And I wanna, as they do that, I wanna tell the story. Go ahead, John, y'all, do you have them? They were right here. Um, So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, If there are more ushers, if you guys could help John, I'm sorry, I thought, so this was worked out. So here's what we need. We need a few volunteers to pass some of these guys out. Uh, fantastic there you go there's some more so and um, you guys up in the balcony maybe send someone down there might be too few over here and too many over there here's the story keep these face down I don't want anyone to look at their midterm exams until everyone has them because this is a timed exam I was in seminary and it was the Oh, keep those face down don't look at your exams everybody keep them face down you can't look at them yet. This is timed. So I was, I was in seminary and I was in a youth ministry class the semester that the, um, the Twin Towers uh, came down, 9-11. And it was a hard time for pastors, as I already kind of said, it was, it, was, it was a difficult time It also happened to coincide with the same semester that Leanne and I miscarried. And so, I don't know if you guys have ever gone through anything like that, but for us, on top of the emotional trauma that came with that, we also realized that there were a lot of conversations that we needed to have in our marriage that we had not had. And we'd only been married a few years, and so maybe we were still trying to learn how to communicate or whatever, but there was a lot of stuff that hit the fan when that happened. And so we had a lot of very late night, deep, you know, meaning of life kind of conversations that followed that. It was just a heavy time. And I had this professor, Helen Music, who if you've ever done any youth ministry especially probably in the 90s or early 2000s maybe going back to the late 80s she was a matriarch of youth ministry she wrote tons of girls bible study books and things like that if you're my age and we're in a youth group in the 90s you probably did a bible study that helen music wrote and so she's teaching our class and i think she recognized just how hard everyone was having that semester it was, it was just, it, was, it just felt heavy. None of us were doing well. We were all kind of a little bit depressed, it felt like. None of us really knew what to do. And so that morning of the exam, I lived about an hour away from campus, and it was an 8 o'clock class, so I had gotten up, you know, early, 5.30 or 6, take a shower, run to school. She passes out this exam. She passed it out face down said, don't turn it over until everyone's got one. And then she said, okay, turn it over. And I'll let y'all take a look now. That is the exam exactly how I received it. It was already filled out. It was already scored with 100. And it already had those back couple of pages of scriptures about grace. She gave everyone in our class a hundred on the midterm, and then we sp- <laughs> and then we spent the next hour talking about what kind of yokes it is that we all manage to carry and how we can take them off and put on Christ's yoke instead. And not everyone enjoyed it. One of my my very best friends was in that class and he had studied and he he had done his work. He had done what he was supposed to do and he was frustrated about it. And thankfully, he, he was able to share that in that time. And then there were folks like me that I had not studied. I had come in completely unprepared. Other than the fact that I'd done youth ministry for a little while and I was arrogant enough to think that I knew everything, so I just rolled in, just thinking we'll figure it out. I'm not sure I've ever experienced a singular moment in my life that illustrated Christ's work on the cross for me better than that test. I will forever remember it. I will forever be indebted to Helen Music for that. I'm still in touch with her occasionally today. Here's the thing. My sister sent me a little Louis Giglio Instagram video this week. And Louis Giglio, he's, he's pretty creative. He's okay. But he was, it was just a quick little 30-second sermon blurb where he was saying, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has already done for you. And that's, that's the message of grace, friends. That's it. That's the whole message. And this is the message that we ought to be living on. And so as I thought about it this week, I I thought maybe, you know, like, how do we sum this up? How do you tell this in a way that makes sense? And, And I think I've come up with a way at least, at least wrestling with why we have such a hard time with grace, why we would rather beat ourselves up, why we would rather carry loads that God did not intend for us to carry, and why we would rather put those loads on others rather than taking them off, because that's how we act. And I, I think it comes down to this. When life is going good, grace sometimes can be seen as a threat. And when life is going bad, like grace is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the best news. And so I want us all to be doing good is the truth. Like I, I want every one of us to be doing great. But the danger in that is when things are going great, we don't need grace. And when things are going great and we don't think we need grace, then it becomes real easy to think that others should also not need grace. And then we start talking about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and things like that. I think that's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's why over and over in scripture we're supposed to identify with the poor and the marginalized and the lost, right? I think this is why we're supposed to consider ourselves least and lowly and humble so that we remember just how much we do need grace. And then maybe if we remember that, then we might be open to sharing it with others as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for all that you did in the life and teachings and death and resurrection of your son Jesus. Forgive us for the times that we think we can do this on our own for the arrogance that we bring to our daily lives and for the heavy yokes that we put on others around us and ourselves. So God, today I ask that you help us step off that hamster wheel and just accept the grace you've given to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.